Well, hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is the founder of the Global Cannabinoid, Cannabinoid Research Center in Santa Barbara, California. He is a three-time cancer survivor who's utilized cannabis to treat his cancer as well as his epilepsy, PTSD, and chronic Lyme disease. He's a former director of consumer affairs at the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine, a journalist and a former civil rights lobbyist, Mr. Mike Robinson. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you take us back for a second? Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school, what your career was before you found cannabis. You know, I've got a very colorful background. I um, was raised by a mom from a hippie counterculture and 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 grew up from all over the, the nation, pretty much. I mean, from California to New York. And, and you know, I traveled a lot as a kid. And, and, you know, my, my whole background sort of led me up to, to what I do now, you know, eventually I raced as a kid and eventually uh, became a race car driver, also a mortgage banker um, in my twenties. And were you introduced to cannabis when you were young? Very young. Uh, You know, cannabis was part of, you know, the dirt bike racing scene and skateboarding scene that I was in. And, I started smoking cannabis really young. I, I believe I was probably self-medicating. I've always had like an ADHD kind of hyperactivity. Gotcha. You recognize that. Well, didn't recognize that, but you knew that cannabis made you feel good. Definitely. Absolutely. And so um, then, so when you started your professional career, what was your first career? Well, my first career was as a mortgage banker. And at the same time, I was a race car driver racing on multiple pro tours. Uh, I did that throughout my 20s. At age 29, I was in a life-altering wreck. I hit the wall at, at over 180 miles an hour. Uh, my right side was paralyzed. I, I, severe epilepsy was a result from the head injuries of that wreck. Um, it took me a year and a half to walk again. Uh, when I finally came home from the hospital, I came home to find my own biological son deep in the world of autism. And quickly, I found myself moving from mortgage broker, or race car driver into the world of civil rights lobbyist and non-attorney representative. And I started representing kids, starting with my son from a wheelchair, wow. uh, who were having problems in special ed. So I was exposed to this vast number of children who would eventually need the oils I would take nearly two decades later from that moment I started. And when you started, were you were you then looking at cannabis as some sort of a medication, or were you did you understand that it had, you know, some some viable effects for you from your traumatic brain injury to your epilepsy? Did you know that, or that was just no? You just continued to use cannabis the way you had been. You know, I was a hippie stoner kind of guy that sort of had to hide it because I was always a jock, and after that wreck, I stopped hiding it. And the judgment came out against me, and it was what made my life easier. You know, I was in a wheelchair, paralyzed. I can't drive anymore. I can't race anymore. I'm watching cars go to repossession, houses go to foreclosure. I'm a mortgage banker having to liquidate assets. And cannabis calmed me down. I remember way back then, in, in early 1996, how I was able to not take Valium 
not take as much morphine and things like that after that wreck because of cannabis. But ultimately, it crumbled the world I was in. And the family I had really judged me over it. I eventually moved away, you know, and started a new life as a as a as a civil rights lobbyist representing kids with disabilities. And, you know, I kept on smoking cannabis. I got cards in multiple states over the next two decades. And it took until 2013 for me to learn how to use cannabis the right way to ingest it. Yeah. To- Absolutely. And, and, you know, now doing that, that 2001, sorry, from that 2001 to 2013, your cannabis use was preferably what was your, your, your uh, method was mostly smoking. Yeah, for the most part, it was smoking. I, I never ingested cannabis until a Korean roommate of mine who couldn't pronounce cannabidiol told me, uh, Michael Song, you can't eat it all. And he made me these herbal herbal medicine balls of, of CBD and, and CBDA. I didn't know that's what they were. So for about 10 days after a real bad seizure in, in 2013, I took these herbal medicine balls from this the Korean acupuncturist, I had about a pound of cannabis on me just to smoke. I mean, I always kept a good, I, I couldn't smoke because of those injuries. Right. And, and, um, and I had to start eating it. So I was eating the raw cannabis along with the, 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 these little herbal balls that he would give to me. And I had no idea for about a 10 day period that I was ingesting CBD, CBDA along with THCA. What I know today <laughs> compared to then, I had no idea. I thought I was allergic to food because I literally couldn't eat during that period of time. And I went to throw his little herbal balls away. And and the roommate came to me and he was like, Michael son, no, can't eat it all. And he wrote it down and he wrote down C-A-N-N-A-B-I. And I was like, yes, I smoke weed. Okay. Yeah. Cannabis. And he was like, no, can you eat it all? So I, I went and did a Google search and up pops Charlotte Beagie, up pops Paige Beagie. And, and here I am. And that the transfer happened. I went from a legal researcher to a cannabinoid medicine researcher overnight. I just had to know more and more. So you understood the medical benefits of cannabis before your first diagnosis with cancer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that, that first go round? Well, that first go round, I had already used cannabis oil, CBD oil, and some cannabis oil to quit taking about a dozen different pharmaceutical medicines. I was taking for epilepsy, uh, stress, you name it, all these different meds tied together. Um, so I had this short period of time of ingestion, and then I went back to smoking and concentrates, and, but, but I started giving cannabis oils away um, all over the nation in this compassion program. I was introduced to this guy who told me, hey, this is what we do. Just give it away. So I started helping him and working with him and I stopped ingesting. So come 2015, about a year and a half later, you know, I bent over to pick up a a case of of some bottles and, and I felt the crack in my ribs and went to ER and sure enough, it wasn't just a normal fracture. It was bone metastasis to my mm. collarbone. And quickly, I was diagnosed with not a recurrence of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
I, I first had non-Hodgkin's all the way back in 2003. I was treated with chemo and radiation and surgery and, 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 you know, so in 2015 rolled around, I was in the world of cannabis and there was no way I was going to go back to those treatments. I had bad side effects in 2003. So bad, Montel, it put me back in the wheelchair. Wow. Uh, yeah. It caused a, a chemo related, uh, uh, incident to the injury in my brain. It like lit it back up. So it actually took me twice the amount of time to get out of a wheelchair from chemotherapy than it did from a racing wreck which is pretty incredible. It's like racing is safer than chemo. You know? So anyway, you know, when we came to this second battle in 2015, it came with two secondary cancers. So when I went to the on oncologist, he's like, okay, you, you've got non-Hodgkin's again. You've also got prostate and Hodgkin's nodular lymphoma, you know? And, and I'm like, why, what's going on? He goes, well, you had treatments back in 2003 and these caused these secondary cancers. And I couldn't believe it. And immediately it was like, let's give you chemo. And I was like, chemo paralyzed me the last time. And so I walked out and I went full scale. I figured, you know, I'm going to give away all the oil I can. I'm going to pave my way to heaven. I'm done. I got three stage four cancers in the way out of this, you know? So, we just kept going with the compassion program, giving away oils and giving away oils. And, and I'm researching the whole time. I'm seeing patients. And as I see patients, I'm digging deep into PubMed and I'm learning, hey, this isn't just some oil off a plant. This has a lot of different cannabinoids with a lot of different uses. And I'm, I'm building myself and creating the research I am today by working with patient after patient and many different patients every day. Um, and eventually, you know, I ended up at my own front door. In 2016, I, I knocked on my front door to bring oil to Genevieve, a 13-year-old girl with autism and epilepsy. And her mom and I got together, you know, and <laughs> over a few month period of time and, and you know, our, our whole family uses cannabis oil now. But I'll tell you that first battle in, in 2003 set me up for that second one in 2015 to know that, that Western medicine treatments can help us, but they can also hurt us and we need to be careful. So then you started using the cannabis oil yourself, which you had been given away. Yes. I started using it myself, um, in oils and I, I did that for a long period of time and, and in, in, in working with a lot of cancer patients, I found that every patient was a little bit different, you know, depending on their type of cancer or what they're treat, treating. They all need a little bit different of a protocol, different amounts. And, you know, I took oils for over a year and a half in that battle until I ran into somebody who brought me a, a tub of these powders and told me this is nanotechnology. And I was like, wow, what's that? And, and I was introduced into, to water soluble cannabinoids and, and, and honey, I shrunk the kids, shrunken cannabinoids, you know, that are, you know, 10% of the original size and molecules brought down. And, and I started using some of those things and soaking in those and, and studying how the cytokine response occurs in our gut and 
causes the swelling that I, that, that was happening to me. As I was traveling around bringing people oils, I was sick, you know, and I'd have to stop for two, three weeks and stay at motels in different states. And, and I had this nano powder stuff and I would put it in the bath and soak in that bath and my swelling would go down, you know, and it was really incredible how it worked. And you were also eating some of the nanoparticle, right? You were absorbing a lot of THC or CBDA, a lot of CBD, right? CBD, CBDA, but in that, in that, 2015 to 2018 it was about a three-year-long fight. Um, it was THC CBN that I focused on, and and it, in that same period of time, Genevieve, the the girl with epilepsy that I, I came to see with autism and epilepsy here, is now my daughter. Um, she never responded to CBD when I first brought her compassion oils, and I had to find something different for her. So I had to dig deep down the rabbit hole of cannabinoids, but it wasn't very deep. The very first one the plant makes, CBGA, was what Genevieve responded to. So I started making various things because, you know, now I'm dating the mother of one of my compassion patients. This gets sticky. You know, you don't want her to be having problems. So I had to make the best, most perfect thing. And I kept working on it and working on it and drinking large amounts of it to make sure it was good. And I, I didn't really tell that much of a difference. But now all these years later, I know that the use of that acidic minor cannabinoid, which is very major, CBGA, allowed me to balance my endocannabinoid system, allowed THC to come in and land on fresh receptors, allowed endocannabinoids to grow and flourish within my system. And I, I didn't have any of this knowledge. And, and it's why when I help patients today, I listen to them quite often and they'll want my advice. And I tell them, look, listen to your gut a little bit. What is your gut telling you to do? I did so much with no knowledge at all. And I'm so, so blessed and fortunate to be alive. Well, now the cancer came back a third time, did it not? Yes, it did. I'm in the hind end of a battle right now. I'm currently being treated here at Wrigley Tree um, in Santa Barbara and um, diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's recurrence and a, a mesenteric mass. It was thought to be a mesenteric cancer, but that diagnosis has been removed. Um, the actual mass has retracted in an incredible way. In the last 45 days alone, we have seen in scans an eight centimeter retraction. This mass is this big. It's, it's going all the way across the mesentery and you know, it's large. And, and, you know, I had a positive reactive uh, PET with a high UV, which is a reactivity that, that you normally don't just brush off and say this could be bad or something like that or scar. I mean, it was across my whole abdomen. So they went in and did investigative surgery and took a whole bunch of biopsies and all they could find was necrotic, necrotic flesh. And there's these videos of the inside just shows these fields of tumor seeding. And normally tumor seeding looks like, you know, little pimples. And instead it looks like whiteheads. They're all in a, a state of necrosis. And it was so intense that, that my oncologist there was like, look, we're just going to go into watch and wait until May. 
and you keep treating yourself. I don't even want to give you immunosuppressant therapy. I want to see what this stuff does for you because we've never seen anything like this before. And you have been utilizing what is your primary line of defense? The primary line has been nanotechnology with multiple cannabinoids applied directly topical transdermally over the point of malignancy, over the suspected point of, of other malignancies and the mass. So literally using, if you can imagine, saran wrap to make my own transdermal patches that large and just wrapping them around the whole body and allowing that to absorb up into me. And of course, this is not something your average cannabis patient is going to run across or have. It's pretty much like me doing research and development on myself, more like trying to save my life. And this is what's coming out of it is this works. And I don't think that's news. And you're still, are you still uh, ingesting by smoking or, uh, and, and you're still dealing with your epilepsy? You're still dealing with, you even said that cannabis has helped you with your PTSD. Is that correct? No, it's correct. It's a PTSD. I was addicted to pharmaceuticals for 24 years. Literally, I, I wrecked in the mid-90s, so I was a Purdue Pharma offspring. I mean, I, I went through the, the Oxy 20, 40, 60, 80, you know, and I got so addicted to opioids, it was incredible. So, And I quit in, in January of, of, of 2019. So it I was facing in this surgery and everything else the necessity to have opioids used on me after four years not using them, which is pretty difficult. But I'll tell you, getting through the post-surgical, cannabinoids did the trick. I'm, I'm controlling epilepsy, which is really hard right now, again with cannabinoids, and they're ingested. I ingest CBGA, CBDA, CBD. THC and CBN all concentrated every day. My intake is upwards of about 2,000 milligrams a day of cannabinoids. Wow. 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 You, and you are processing this yourself? You were actually doing the formulations? Yes. Now, have you decided to write a book to share this with others? Yes. I mean, that's, that's coming. I'm chronicling this particular journey and I'm looking at this whole entire life I've had and needing to be documented much more. So I'm actually working on the Cannabis Love Story, which is on a website, CannabisLoveStory.com right now, but, but I'm, I'm turning it into a book, the story of how uh, myself and, and Anne-Marie, Genevieve's mom, uh, became a couple and, and how a plant brought together this, this compassion provider and a family. Genevieve's dad overdosed opioids in 2007 and died when she was only three years old. Um, so I quit opioids against medical advice and actually signed off AMA for Genevieve. I just, I couldn't be somebody addicted and I knew I was nursing addiction. I knew I was no longer getting pain help from, from Oxy. I had to quit it, you know, so. So yeah, definitely writing a book. The Cannabis Love Story is, I think I'm, I just finished chapter three. It's being edited by an author in New York. So we're going to move that out and I'm going to do a cannabis versus cancer follow-up. But now, I mean, in this love story, you are, are you sharing with your readers your recipes and formulations that you've come up with? 
Well, not the love story is more of a love story, and it's a way to introduce people to the cannabis plant in a bit of a different way. Like the cover is going to be like 1950s kind of, you know, silhouette a couple, you know, and a true love story and how this plant and people in need of it created love and a family. And and then following that up, I'm going to do a more controversial book. Um, which is already in the works, which is a cannabis versus cancer book in which we do go over uh, how different formulations are made and how things are made that 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 were put on myself and, and, and other patients have used. And, and that in, in, in parallel to therapies that are both useful and dangerous that come from you know, traditional treatments. Well, now, how did your doctors react to your cannabis use and the treatment of all your varied maladies? I mean, you even said that uh, cannabis has helped you with Lyme disease. Is that right? Yeah, I had Lyme disease. Or I got it in 1992. I had five acres out in the wilderness, you know, pretty much, and, and contracted Lyme disease uh, riding a dirt bike with no helmet. Not the smartest thing to do, but, but for two, two decades, I fought that. And while I was taking that oil, quitting all the pills I was using for epilepsy, I had a, 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 a physical. And in the physical, they always pulled the line tighter and it came back zero. So the doctor retested negative and completely negative. So, so yeah, I mean, cannabis has, has always been involved in, in my chart somewhere medically. And it's always been a hard, it's always been a hurdle. It's, it's always been something that I've had to explain far more than I felt necessary. Um, even in my current title as the founder of the Global Cannabinoid Research Center, I find myself correcting how the word cannabinoid is spelled in my chart. I find myself judged because I don't want opioids and I use cannabinoids. And I feel like I'm treated a little bit differently and I'd rather not see that. I would love to see the change that we're already seeing keep going because I'm seeing doctors more and more interested. While my primary care and, the, and some doctors tied to her are a little more tight about it, I find that the oncologists are very curious. They want to know what I'm using, how I'm using it. They, they're they very, very interested in this black oil that they're seeing on social media. Sure. And what's and you, you mentioned them, the Global Cannabinoid Research Center. You founded that. What is your mission? The mission for the Research Center has always been education internationally. In 2018, I spent a year as the director of communications for the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine. And during that year, I found that there was a big disconnect between the U.S. cannabis science world and the world of medicine in general out there. And I also found that, that most cannabis science people were presenting to each other. Instead of going out to, for example, the World Radiology Conference or something like that, um, it's CanEx and a big group of people that all know cannabis coming together to present to each other. And, and to me, there's an error in that way. So I decided I would create the Global Cannabinoid Research Center because, and, and go along with my line of thinking 
which was let's go, let's break into different areas of medicine. Let's let's present in the world of nanotechnology. Let's present in the world of radiology, oncology. I've done five different world cancer congresses in the last five years, um, over 30 symposiums in the last three and a half years. And I have no education in medicine, biology, chemistry, or any of that. I'm just winging it. And I'm out there doing the best I can to bring the most attention possible to the fact that, that uh, cannabis is medicine, cannabinoids within the plant have been medicine for who knows how long, and the potential in treating so many different health problems is so high that, that we need to pay attention. And, you know, I found that internationally, the attention is given and, and the, the desire to learn is there. So that was really, you know, the mission and the goal in creating that. Yeah, I, I would almost agree with you there. I mean, I think the rest of the world, um, you know, doesn't pay the prices that we pay for Western medication here in the United States. And they're looking to avoid getting ripped off. I mean, honestly, because a lot of the, the, the chemicals that we sell here, literally, you know, it's like I, I was watching the other night and it really disturbed me. I'm watching a conversation about, you know, the opioid fentanyl um, uh, addiction problem in the United States. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I recognize that we should talk about that. But why don't we talk about what the root cause is? Because the root cause is the fact that from the time a child is born, the first time they tell, turn on the television set, I don't care what the program is that they're watching, somewhere within the first 15 minutes of them watching TV, some commercial is going to come on and say, if you have a problem, take this pill. We literally brainwashed Western, not Western, because in a lot of other places or in Europe, they don't allow pharmaceutical companies to to advertise the way we let them advertise here in the United States. But we basically have guinea pig, or not guinea pig, but we turned us into a nation of lemmings when it comes to pharmaceuticals. You are taught from the day you're born, if there's anything wrong with you, even if it's not wrong with you, still take a pill. You know what I mean? Uh, think about the number of commercials you see all day. Everything from rheumatoid arthritis to you know gut health to... You can't sleep to, you don't feel good or you thought about it, you didn't feel good. Everything is solved by taking a pill. Then you get a person to an age where they take the first of those pills and they get some sort of euphoria out of it. And they go, well, it can't be bad me taking a pill. So then let me go ahead and take these pills, these opioid pills. And then we turn around and go, oh, my God, I can't understand why we have a nation that's addicted to drugs. We have a nation addicted to drugs because the pharmaceutical industry is shoving them down your throat. That's why. Now, isn't it interesting that they will shove any chemical they can create in a laboratory down your throat because they can patent it, but they won't actually do the real research behind something that's not a chemical, that's natural, that was put on this planet by nature. And we know for a fact that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction on the planet. So I'm a very strong believer in the fact that I think that no matter what the disease is on this planet, there is a cure for it that existed somewhere in the rainforest, some of which has been destroyed. I agree. So, so yeah. why the pharmaceutical industry won't do that? Oh, let's approve cannabis, but only if we can synthesize it. Really? Oh, yeah. You can make a better molecule than nature. Uh, really? And we wonder why some of these molecules that they make don't work. 
You know, they've had Marinol in the marketplace now for 20-something years. And it's probably one of the least prescribed drugs in America, but still there. And if you go to try to get some, it costs you about $1,000 a month. So, you know, and then you look at what we've done with, um, you know, the cannabinoid-based CBD drugs that are out there, $2,500, $1,500 a month. This is really ridiculous. And so, you know, I when you say what you're doing with the Research Foundation, have you teamed up with anybody? Is Are there any institutions looking towards you to get any information out of your cannabinoid resource center? Yes, there are. You know, I, I collaborate with uh, multiple different uh, universities around the world. And I, I actually tucked the Global Cannabinoid Research Center underneath another corporation I have in California that's called Nanables. It does nanotechnology. So I am taking a lot of the work I've done over the years, creating formulations, and I'm looking to actually turn these into medicines. But how does a guy like me, who was disabled and traveled all over the place, suddenly bring forward stuff that can actually be pharmaceutical medicine. And I agree with you. We've got a crazy healthcare system. We've got a system that just paid $144,000 for me to stay in the hospital for eight days. Yet people can't get coverage for the cannabis they need. I could, nothing that has killed the cancer that was in me that we've proven killed it because we've got tests that show it was there. Now it's gone. Nothing that went on me was paid for by anybody but me. And this is wrong. We, we, should, we should be investing these funds into the people, into the nation in the United States. We could get that golden seal of approval back that we once had with the FDA. But I'm telling you, as a formulator in the global marketplace, I work with people in Brazil. I work with people in India all over. And they, they don't care anymore. They're not looking for the FDA approval. They're looking for their own Department of Narcotics approval. Right, yes, because they finally realize that the FDA is really only here about making money for American pharmaceutical industry. It's not really about curing anybody. You know, we have a lot of the drugs that are, are manufactured in the United States are really just stopgap measures to continue to keep people sick rather than to get people well. And you're working on a product that or on a formulation that actually is stopping or curing in a sense, and that's a really weird word to use, but I don't understand why you should be what they call an N of one. Why aren't they researching you? Doctors should be looking at all of your records, looking at everything you've gone through, every blood test you had, and taking a look and seeing what's the ratio of the amount of cannabinoids in your blood compared to the amount of cancer in your blood. I mean, I think they should just kind of, you know, stick you in a lab and, and you know, stick vials in you and test tube you from here to eternity so that we can replicate what's happened in you with others. And I agree. But the fear I have with that is it's going to be fully synthetic. It's so easy to synthesize and you get stability in synthesizing. So this is why you why may get the same. I'm not sure if you get stability. I think you get the same. You get a recreated molecule that may not be the same molecule. Synthesization mm -hmm. when they when we synthesize, you know, a chemical that like Marinol. Uh, when we came up with that, we recognize that when you look at it fully blown at the molecular level, it is not the same as THC delta nine. It's not. There are, not. are are atoms that are in different places, and it's not the same. 
And so therefore, how would that be recognized by an endocannabinoid system that looks for the plant-based product to help create its own cannabinoids? You know, that's what antagonizes our system to make it actually kick out more. So, you know, I, I, it's really strange to me that, again, the only way we and the only reason why we want them synthesized is so that somebody can try to patent it. You know, that's the whole process here. It has nothing to do with health or wellness. It has to do with give me something that I can patent and I can charge you for the next 20 years with my particular formulation, whether it really works or not. Exactly. And I'll tell you, that's exactly the game. And 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 what we see right now uh, is sort of troubling. We see J uh, John Hopkins doing a study on Delta-8. And this has been going on for a year now. And at the same time, the federal government's putting out all kinds of propaganda against Delta-8. Um, and it's a semi-synthetic. You well, know, but, then, but then again, again, I got to tell you something. I think and I thought for a while since hearing about Delta-8, the fact that our industry has done what it has done. Delta-8 is a natural occurring cannabinoid. However, it doesn't occur at the levels that you can get when you push CBD chemically into Delta-8. I'm going to go back to what I said to begin with. When we start doing things like that, I don't think we're creating the same molecule. I don't believe that Delta-8 that's been pushed from CBD is the same as Delta-8 that naturally occurs in the plant. I can have scientists call me right now, and I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch of people who are going to see this podcast and say, oh, Montel, you're not right. Whatever. Show me the proof. Show me the fact that molecularly that chemical that's been turned into what you're calling Delta-8 is truly the same Delta-8 that the plant actually produced at only 0.3% of its volume of cannabinoids. So I have been, I've been one that's been really kind of, you know, sending out the nasty notes to our industry saying that we needed to leave this alone. I was saying this three years ago. First time I heard about Delta-8 being synthesized in laboratories using under-the-counter chemicals, I was like, this is just giving the DEA an opportunity to slam down on our heads, and that's exactly what they're trying to do right now. And they haven't figured out how to do it because the hemp bill does cover Delta-8 because Delta-8 is a natural occurring cannabinoid. Now, THCO is not. So now, what do we do there? And why would anybody, why does this industry feel the need to create that? They only did that so they could get around the law and they really can't get around the law because anything that you synthesize that has attributes that are similar to the, you know, a, a already illegal product, you can't use anyway. But our industry has decided to go down this rabbit hole, and it is a rabbit hole that's only going to end up backfiring on us. And just the same way as the DEA came out a couple of weeks ago trying to see if they could scare people into believing that all refined or synthesized cannabinoids were illegal, they're not right. And there's been pushback, and now that's going to go to court for the next 10 years. And we'll be battling that one where, honestly, all we have to do is just literally work with the plant. The plant itself, you know, we know that we haven't even scratched the surface of the number of cannabinoids that are really part of this plant. You're looking at the variants and the acid versions. Um, there's so much research. I mean, I, but then again, there's been research that's been done. We know that in the last 10 years, there's been over 35,000 published scientific articles on cannabis. The last two years alone, 3,500 each year 
on very cannabinous cannabinoid research papers published extolling the efficaciousness of cannabinoids. I don't understand why the scientific community, and you know, I do understand it because we've been living in a world where all of a sudden science is a bad word, but you know, I don't understand why you know universities and people who claim to want to do no harm doctors don't do more research of their own in trying to understand why is this this you know it, it's an anecdote when it's only one story but when you hear multiple stories of the fact that certain cannabinoids have had efficacious effect against certain cancers you know n of one is gone now it's n of 100 well if 100 people got something out of it or a thousand people got something out of it there's got to be some truth here rather than you fight it and I don't understand, but I do understand the reason why it's being fought is because, you know, cannabis is a weed. Mm -hmm. And you can't stop the same reason why if you go back to the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, they didn't outlaw it because it was a euphoric inducing chemical. They outlawed it because they couldn't track the seeds across state lines. They couldn't control the money. And that's exactly what will happen right now if they decided to attempt to legalize it. Hell, people can grow it in their kitchen give somebody a seed out of their, their kitchen and they don't have to worry about going to a pharmacy. And that means you cut somebody out. And when you cut somebody out of getting some money, it pisses a lot of people off. It sure does. I'll tell you, you know, the, as far as the synthetics go, um, I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. I actually created a formulation that would be fully synthetic. I trademarked it. It's called GeneVex. It's named after Genevieve, whose dad died to an opioid overdose. And I was looking to make a moderate pain management drug, something that would work. And I started looking at things like THCP and these other THCOs and how they could work and how this would. And I, it just started sickening me. The further and further and further we would go, the we got so far away from nature, it just was crazy and, and that's you, why and you got to recognize whether or not the we have a sympathetic i'm calling it a secondary nervous system that has receptors cb1 cb2 we're only tipping that scratching the tip of the iceberg right there because we do know that cbn cbg can actually be absorbed by other receptors in our body so once we identify the entire group of receptors that actually respond to cannabinoids um the real ones you know, we have to start to wonder whether or not those receptors can even sniff out or under, or even recognize the synthetic version that we send their way. And they probably don't. And so, you know, I think until we've exhausted all research on the real deal, I see no reason for a synthesized version of anything. You know, and, and what I found myself in my own research and development yeah, and, and I'm not looking to develop to make a multi-billion dollar, a million or whatever world. I, I care about people. I want people to be able to access what I've had. And I had to circle back and say, wait a minute, Mike, what worked for me was nanotechnology, water soluble, cellular medicine. This is not synthesizing or converting anything. You're using the same cannabinoid. You're just making it soluble so it goes in and can actually penetrate the cell. So while you also are ingesting oils, you're using topical transdermals, you're soaking in baths, you're doing other ways of, of bringing cannabinoids into your tissue and into your bloodstream, 
These are natural cannabinoids. That's what, that's in my whole trip in looking at how to make something for pain and how to actually R&D create something for pain. I went through that world of synthetics very uncomfortably, very, very uncomfortably because I love the plant and I am happy to feel the way I do right now. And, and to see the same thing you do, I don't support uh, synthetic cannabinoid medicine. What would you like to see start to happen when it comes to research? I mean, you've got a center. Do you think that we need to have bigger centers built, not bigger, but more centers built across the country so that, you know, the research is being done on a daily basis? I mean, we're keeping up with it. We, we need funding. I mean, even me, I, I have very little to work with. I'm, I'm like archaic. You know, I'm presenting academia around the world um, through an iPad with a whiteboard in a small office. You know, I'm, I'm doing my R&D in a small clean room. You know, we don't have a lot of funding being funneled towards the people who have the, the nitty gritty knowledge. We have funding go, going towards the people who are more of green rush type. And I think it's because this industry has multifaceted people. We've got people who were stoners and hippies who grew up into it. And people like me who weren't into any of that just used the plant, but knew them all, you know, and then we've got people that are business people and, and university researchers. And so you've got your, your alchemist researcher, which I would be somebody who's just making potions and creating things. How does this work? Yeah, we've got our, our microscopes, but we don't know the science and all that. I think that's our advantage. I truly do. Well, what what would you, I mean, how, first off, how can people reach out to you? Especially, I'm sure that there will be other cancer people who have, have people who are dealing with cancer in their life who have heard this and think, hmm, there might be some information I could get from you. Where would they go to get the information? Uh, my website, researcherog.com, has my bio on it, has information to contact me. It's probably the easiest website to get quick information about me. Okay. And then you'll answer some of the questions if they shoot your questions? Sure. I, I have actually, a, I do consulting. I do hour-long consulting for patients. I, most patients, I don't even charge. They can't afford it. You know, I, I look for access to patients. I look to help people get what they need and, and be able to use it how they need. Because so many people are out there shopping and looking for things, and they only have so much of a budget, and they go out and buy something that really doesn't fit them, and now they're stuck until they get the next check, you know? So I try to help people find what will actually work for them. And what would you say to another person who's reaching out right now saying, well, check, I don't know if I should call Mike or not. Maybe I should. What do you say to them? I'm sorry. I'm just thinking, what do, you, what do you say to people? Like, you know, there are people who are listening to this podcast and saying, hmm, I don't know if I should call him or not. Um, he was a bit specific with Montel, but I mean, Will you be more specific for them? Tell them, look, you know, this is the areas that I looked at, CBG, CBGA, THC, THCA, THCV. I mean, will you give them kind of a, a little tutorial if they reach out to you? Oh, yes. I'm very specific one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm very aware that I'm on a podcast with Montel Williams, and a lot of people are going to watch it. So I'm not going to, of course, spill out formulary information or things like that. You know, but when it comes to a patient coming to me for one-on-one -on -one information, I firmly believe that that we need to take this more seriously than just say, oh, take a quarter gram of this oil or one gram a day for 90. That kind of stuff doesn't work with me. I look at endocannabinoid tone. 
I look at the patient's dose response. I look at how are they responding to the cannabinoids they're using now, and if they're not using cannabinoids, how do they respond to other drugs that do the same thing? Are they CNS depressants? How do they respond to pain meds? It gives me a good idea of what to actually suggest for them. So I think that a lot of times people are going and looking for advice on what cannabinoids to use, and the person giving the advice is either selling something or has a, a, a train of knowledge that isn't looking at the whole endocannabinoid system and the patient as a whole, and likely because they just don't have the time, you know. So I block out the time for a patient. I take a whole hour and listen to them, and, and we figure out what will work. Sure. Well, my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing so much. Well, there's anything else you want to share, sir? I'm sorry. I said thanks so much for sharing with us this hour. Anything else you'd like to share? I just like to share how happy I am to be alive because of this plant and how much joy it brings me to share information with doctors, patients, and just about anybody that will listen, even an Uber driver, I'll tell about this plant because I would have been dead so many times over again. I mean, wow, severe refractory epilepsy itself put me in the hospital 39 times in ICU over an 18 year period of time. And I squashed that. I mean, it's gone a decade ago. And I've fought some cancers and here I am fighting cancer right now. And I'm eating vegan. People are saying, Mike, you look so good. And it's like, well, I've got cancer again. And it's like, what? <laughs> That's incredible, my friend. Well, I think you, I hope you just keep on keeping on and, you know, keep doing what you're doing and keep sharing the way you are. Because I think you're going to help so many people. Uh, I say can't say thank you enough. One more time, give out the website if people want to give reach you. Researcher OG. Just like it sounds. Yeah, the Researcher OG. I was named that by the OG Eddie Lepp. Um, I, I was his compassion provider in his last year of life. He was a he was a legend in California. Got busted with thirty thousand plants in the ground back when I was you know younger, and always looked up to the OG Eddie Lepp and. Before he passed, he said, you're not a researcher. You're the researcher OG. So I made a website. Yeah. There you go, my friend. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. And, uh, you know, anytime you want to come back and give us more of your knowledge, we'd love to have it. And I got to say, thank you so much for being a part of today's Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you. Yes, sir. You be well. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.